Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But as your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Amen. You may be seated. We have uh, a guest here this morning who has graciously agreed to uh, fill the pulpit, which serves us tremendously, and we are incredibly grateful for that. His name is Clifton Stanton, and uh, we are connected to him through uh, Acts 29. There's a a gospel cohort that Derek attended last year in which he met Clifton and and Adam Flint, who kind of oversees that whole thing. Um, Derek reached out to to see if there was anybody that could serve us in this way, and and Clifton so graciously agreed to do so. Um, He has a wife and two children, and is currently in Jacksonville, and is from Jacksonville, uh, and is in the church planting residency under Adam Flint uh, at this moment, and will be planting in Encinitas, California, uh, starting in June. So, uh, pray for him and his family, and... uh, Give thanks to God for what he's doing and raising up people to plant churches. Um, and, and we just ask that you'd be prayerful on his behalf because uh, that is so totally necessary and crucial. So um, let's thank him for serving us in this way. Yeah. All right, so how are we doing this morning, everybody? Now that we got that out of the way... I like handheld mics. They're just as good. It's awesome. Uh, So as Jason just shared, uh, my name is Clifton. I'm one of the pastors currently on staff at the Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm also part of their church planning residency program, and they're getting ready to send us off to Encinitas, California, which is the exact opposite side of the world, as far as I'm concerned, uh, to where I've grown up. I'm 33, and so I've lived almost all of my 33 years in Jacksonville, Florida. I've been married for 11 years. Uh, my daughter, Kate, is getting ready to turn five, and my son just turned two in December. So for those of y'all that have had kids or um, have kids right now, you know that crazy kind of world that I am living in. Um, in fact, I know that it's down right now, but there was a picture. Um, we had to take family pictures last year, and so we had to do it twice. We took one set of family pictures, and our kids would not cooperate. Um, the pictures ended up with one of me holding my daughter as she tried to bite my face off. And it looks cute because it looks like she's playing with me. She's not. She's literally trying to bite me. And then my son is laying um, up against my wife, but that's because he had just smacked her in the face. And so it's the worst pictures ever, so we had to take them again, and we bribed the kids with all kinds of things. 
and it was awesome. So that's just kind of the craziness in our household mixed with deciding, hey, you know what? God's going to take us all the way to the other side of the country. And so I'm excited to be here uh, with you all this morning. Um, hopefully you're ready as we dive in together. And this is what I want to do. I want to start with a question. And this question is, what does it look like to give up everything? What does it look like to give up everything? And this question is going to be important as we walk through uh, some different passages, uh, Luke 5, verse 1 through 11, as well as some other um, passages in the Bible today. But what does it look like to give up everything? And so I went to the computer, uh, to the dictionary, really, for Google, because we just Google things these days. We don't look at actual dictionaries. And I looked up everything, and everything literally means all that exists or all that relates to a subject. Now, I briefly met a couple of you in this room, but I don't really know um, any of you that well at all. So I don't know where you are in your faith journey. I don't know where you are with Jesus. I don't know where you are in that walk. Uh, You may not know Jesus at all. You may be faithfully following him with everything that you're made of. I have no idea. Maybe today you walked in here and you're not a Christian at all. And you said, hey, this is kind of weird. This is how you're going to start. I don't know you. You're not the guy that's normally here. And now you're going to tell me that I have to give up everything. I don't really want to give up everything, so that's crazy. And why would you even say that? And why would you ask me to give up everything? Or maybe you've had bad church experience in the past, and so your mind starts to go all kinds of places, and you begin to think what that means um, in your context. Or maybe today um, you're the one that's walked in here, and you kind of wrote in and said, hey, no problem, I take up my cross every single day, faithfully every morning, and so I've already got this completely covered. Or maybe you walked in here with absolutely nothing, you're like, okay, I can give up everything in just a minute. No problem at all. Or maybe you walked in here with a ton of stuff, and the minute I said give up everything, your mind kind of said, "Uh uh-oh, I don't really want to talk about this, and you began to tune me out. But here's the thing is that together we're going to walk through these verses today, no matter where you've been. If this has been the best week of your life ever, you got a promotion, work's been going great, family life's going great, or maybe this is the worst week ever, and you're just saying, hey, I'm just trying to make it through Sunday. It took everything I could to get to church This morning, wherever you're at, together this morning, we're going to walk through this. Because I'm in the same boat that you all are. Um, Even though people call me pastor now at the church that I'm at, and we're planting a church, and all these things seem amazing and all that, I'm in the same boat as many many of you. I'm I'm walking through the same things in life that you're walking through. Um, In fact, I think about myself as I grew up. When I was in middle school and high school, I was um, a horrible kid. We'll just say it that way. And I didn't make, like, little mistakes and do, like, tiny bad things. Like, I didn't, like, steal a pack of gum from the store. Um, I stole, like, 40 wristbands and tried to hide them under my arms, under my shirts. I tried to take alcohol to school when I was in middle school, okay? I um, got arrested one time when I was in high school, but that's a whole other sermon for a whole other time. But all kinds of different things, I was that kid that just kind of messed everything up all the time. Life wasn't going that awesome. In fact, uh, there's this one time in high school, I worked at this restaurant called Billy's Boathouse. It was this seafood restaurant at the beach in Jacksonville Beach. and It was a great place, and over a season of time, a couple years, I'd worked my way from washing dishes all the way to being in charge of breakfast on the weekends and being in charge of dinner on Monday and Tuesday night, only because Monday and Tuesday night was the slowest nights of the week. Now, what was great about this is there was nothing to do. We would prep until like 7 o'clock, and then we'd just hang out for three hours. But we'd also get all the new people. So when there was a new dishwasher, they would start about on Monday and Tuesday night to get them kind of into the rhythms. 
And so there was a Monday night, and there was this young kid, and I say young kid, at the time I think I was 17, and he was 15. So he wasn't that much younger than me, but to me, he was young. And so he was excited about his job. This was his first job. It was great. I had been beaten down by working at a restaurant for years, and so I was not excited at all. So I wanted to do my job, and I wanted to just sit over on the counter and talk to the other guy I was working with. He said, hey, what else can I do? How can I help? So I gave him a couple small things to do, and he came back a few minutes later. Hey, what else can I do? So I said, hey, here's what we're going to do. I have a great idea. I need you to change out the air in the walk-in. Now, for those of y'all that don't know what a walk-in is, it's literally just a fridge that you walk into. And so when you go inside, there's these giant fans that turn, and they blow air all inside of the cooler to keep it cold. So I told him, I was like, hey, here's what you do. You take a trash bag, you hold it up to this giant fan. When it fills up with air, you squeeze it tight, and you run out the door. You've got to get outside quick. It's poisonous. It'll kill us all. Take it outside, dump it out. And you have to do this about seven or eight times in order to change the air out in the walk-in. If you don't, all the food goes bad. We'll have to restock it. It's really not a good situation. He said, okay, no problem. So me and my buddy who are working together are sitting on the counter over here as this guy is running in and out, taking the air out of the walk-in. And we're laughing. Once again, I have a terrible heart. My wife probably would have cried for him. Um, but I laughed. I was laughing. It was great. It was funny to me. So this went on for numerous weeks. So he trained for a couple weeks on Mondays and Tuesdays, and every time he'd be like, tonight, we do it every night? Yep, every night, go change the air out in the walk-in. And so finally came to a Friday night, and that Friday night I think I was frying or something. I wasn't in charge. I was down the line. I couldn't even see anything that was going on. And some of the guys were taking a break. It was kind of a slow, like, middle of the shift. And he goes, hey, do I need to change the walk-in air out tonight? Because he was working with us. And I said, yes, of course you do. You have to. It's every single night. And so he does this, and I say, hey, guys, you all have to watch what's about to happen. And so they're all sitting over here to the side, and they're watching this, and we're laughing, dying our heads, dying, laughing our heads off. It's so great. And then the boss comes walking in, the owner of the restaurant, and all of us immediately freak out and go back to working, pretending like we're all doing stuff to keep busy. And the owner goes over and starts yelling at him, what are you doing? Why are you changing? He's like, i got to change the air out. He's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You can't change the air out in the walk-in. That's not even a thing. So that just gives you kind of a sneak peek into kind of just the way that I live my life because I lived my life for me. Anything that would make me laugh, anything that would make somebody else laugh, anything that brought positive or negative attention to me was just great for me because I was all about myself and there was no way that I was ever going to give up anything. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in together today. So if you want to find Luke chapter 5 verse 1 through 11, it's what we just read a few moments ago. Um, we're going to dive into it, and together we're just going to unpack this. We're going to see what it has to say. You see, because what's not important is anything that I've said or any other person up here has said, but what's important is what God is saying to each and every one of us. And I truly believe today that no matter how you've come in here, like I say, whether it's been the best week, the best day, or it's been the worst week and the worst day, that God has something for each and every one of us in this book, in the Bible, in Luke chapter 5. So this is where we're going to start. We're going to jump kind of all over the place, New Testament, Old Testament, and some other things, but we're going to start here. And so what I want to do is I just want to start by praying, and I'm going to make everybody feel just a little bit uncomfortable for just a moment. If you just take your hand and hands and hold them out like this, like you're getting a Christmas present, just out in front of you, like somebody's giving you a gift, just like you'd get something. So we're going to pray, and as we pray, this is just a symbol um, in the Bible of, hey, of receiving something. And so this morning, as, we, as I teach, as, as God shares with us, we want to receive whatever it is that he has for us. So we're just going to sit here and just pray with our hands open before we dive into some scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you now. Lord, we ask that as we uh, hear your words, that you would help guide our hearts, that you would help uh, show us the things in our lives that we need to root out, the things we need to point towards you, the things we need to give to you, Lord. 
Lord, that you would make it very clear and evident to us. Lord, we pray that you would have a word for each and every one of us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we go. We're going to dive into Luke 5, 1 through 11. I know we read it. I'm just going to read it. Read it. Read it one time through again for all of us. So here we go. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep, into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and nothing, and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So here's what we see in this passage. What we, what we know is if we were to back up and look into the beginning of Luke, that Jesus has gone out into the desert, that he has been tempted for 40 days uh, by the devil. He's come out of that. Uh, he's began to do ministry. He's healed some people. He's cast some demons out of people. Um, he's been teaching people. And that's where we find him in this scene. He's, he's walking along. He's teaching people. And there's this crowd of people that's pressing up on him. I imagine they're probably shouting. They're yelling. They're asking questions. He's kind of being bombarded. And so what happens is he sees these boats. He says, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to separate myself from the crowd. Much like you would on a stage or much like right now where I'm a little bit separated from you. He's creating a barrier so that he can actually share with everybody. So he pushes out and he begins to teach. And right there in the boat, Simon Peter's sitting with him, listening to all the teaching. They're no longer fishing. They've kind of given up. It wasn't an awesome night. They had fished all night probably and caught zero fish. So it's not awesome if you're a fisherman because that means that you don't have any fish to sell, that you're not going to make any money. But he chooses to do this. Chances are at this point he's probably heard of Jesus, but he doesn't know Jesus. They're not hanging out. They're not buddies. Um, he's not following him yet. And so as we see this, he, they push out and they're, and they're sitting out there. And then finally Jesus gets done teaching. He says, hey, you know what, guys? Let's, let's go out a little deeper and let's catch some fish. And so I imagine that in Peter's mind at first he's like, we're, we're the professionals, and we just tried, and it didn't work out very well. It's kind of like the equivalent of being like, hey, could you come in on Saturday to do some extra work? Cause, and he's probably like, whatever. But at the same time, he's listened to everything that Jesus has taught. He knows that Jesus is a rabbi. He knows a lot of things about Jesus, so he's kind of like, okay. And he, he calls him master here. Like he, he could have just moved on and been like, yeah, whatever, man. We're going back to shore. But he says, master, that's fine. If you say you want to go out and catch some fish. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, this isn't going to happen, but I'll just humor this guy. For the sake of it. And so they push out and they begin to pull up so many fish. Tons and tons of fish. And so they have to call another boat. And immediately Simon Peter like freaks out like, like Jesus, just, just go away from me. Get out of here. I need you to leave. Because this miracle's happened and he's, in his mind, just like a lot of us, sometimes these things happen in our lives and we go, we don't deserve it. We didn't do enough to earn it. I didn't do anything. Therefore, I just need you to go away because something's wrong here. This shouldn't be happening to me. 
but it is, and Jesus kind of stands them up and says, hey, that's not what's happening. But instead, I want to offer you this opportunity. I want to make you a fisher of men. I want, to, I want to change your life. I want to give it purpose and meaning beyond just the task that you're carrying out every day. And he begins to, to take him and send him this direction. And we land in verse 11, which is the most important for us today. It says this. It says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So this is the three men, so Peter, James, and John. The moment they get back to land, they choose that upon Jesus just asking to follow him, that they will give up everything they have to follow this man that they barely know at this point, that they barely know. And you have to understand what this meant for this time in history. Is This meant that they would be leaving their family, that they would be leaving uh, their job, their family job. Chances are all of these young men had gone through, like, tried to go through rabbi school. And chances are because they were in these jobs, they had probably failed out of rabbi school. And so they had gone back to the job that their parents had, that their father had. And so they come back and they're like, okay, we're just going to do this for the rest of our lives. And so they're there fishing, but they're giving up what may have been a steady income. Based on the night before, it doesn't seem like it was a very good job, but we don't know. Maybe it was great. It provided the bills, paid for a house, whatever it may be. Everything was going perfectly fine but they would be giving up all that a steady job they left their things they left their comfort and so on and so forth all simply because jesus called because jesus was calling them to something better in john 10 10 it says this the thief comes only to kill steal and destroy but i came that you may have life and have it abundantly you see while these guys didn't have all the answers yet they knew that jesus was offering them something better than the lives that they were living They knew that Jesus was offering them something different than they had experienced. That these men realized that they were being given the opportunity to find purpose beyond their daily toil, their daily struggle, and their daily strife. And the thing is, is it's not like they were trading uh, their daily struggles for this perfect life that would be great and awesome. Because we read through the rest of the Bible, we see that it's not perfect for the disciples. That every day does not go as planned. Things do not always go right but they're pursuing something that's so much better than all of that. Essentially, what they realized is that there's no other option when they were faced with Jesus. And so what we have to realize is that for all of us, the same thing has happened. That Jesus is calling each and every one of us to that same thing, to this full, abundant life that's found only in him, that's so much greater. But the thing he asks is that we give up everything. And honestly, in like our context in these days, we look at the Bible and we go, yeah, everything, but does everything really mean everything? It just means like some things. I just need to try to be a little bit better of a person, and I just need to act a little different, and then things will be fine. That's what God is calling me to. And this has become oh so apparent in my own life. A little bit of my story is I grew up in church. I was the, the Christian kid. I told you a little bit ago how I didn't really live that out completely in my life. Uh, But I had all the right answers. I knew all the stories, the old Bible stories. I could uh, recite scripture. I was great at sword drills. If you're older and you grew up in church, you know what that is. That's where you would like smack the Bible and yell, present Bibles or something like that. And then whoever found the verse first won something. It's probably like a bookmark or something, but you won something. All right. And so I was like the best at those things. I was so good at like head knowledge, but there was nothing actually going on inside of my heart. And so fast forward, um, when we got into, me and my wife, uh, when we hit college, we got connected with some people that really poured into us and helped us see who Jesus was. And we began to walk with him. And through all of that, I uh, started working with students, but I had a full-time uh, job, had a really big landscape company, did a lot of commercial accounts. Everything was great. We were able to buy a home. 
And shortly after that, God began to call me into ministry to work with students full time. And, and to me, at first, it was scary because I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to give up all of this that I've built. Like, we just bought a house. I have a really good job. Everything's going awesome. Well, the thing is, is that as most people do, we were able to just find comfort in that thing that we were being called to. So I actually worked part-time for a season at the church that I was at, working with middle schoolers, um, and it was great. And so I could do that, and I could run my lawn business, and I had all the crews going, and I would bounce back and forth, and everything seemed to be going good. And then God began to try to pull us out of that again and call us to actually give something up as opposed to just shift and make everything better ourselves. And as we began to shift and move in a different direction, uh, I was actually a part of the church that I'm at now, the Church of 1122. It planted out of the church that I was in. So service became a church, once again, a whole other story for another time. But as it did that, they offered me the position to come be the student pastor at this church. So that meant full-time. It was completely different. It meant making a lot less money, but it meant that I could no longer do the full landscaping job. Um, it meant that just for my family's sake, that wasn't going to work out. And so we made the decision to sell the business. But at the time, my wife had finished college and was actually moving into a job at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville as a biospecimen collection tech. She's a lot smarter than I am. Um, so she does a lot of fancy things, which essentially means she took like people's cancer skin and put it and preserved it for research later. Something like that. So she began to make a lot of money, and so it kind of offset. And so once again, we just floated back into, like, everything's comfortable, and we just live our lives, and we still have our house, and we're making plenty of money, and it's no big deal, and I'm in ministry, and all that kind of stuff. And, and all of that began to dwindle away in 2017 when God began to call us to plant a church in California. Because we finally hit this wall where God said, hey, you know what? I'm going to actually show you what it means to give some things up in your life. Because until that point, we had never had to give anything up in order to move toward the point that God was wanting us in our lives. But for those of you all that aren't familiar with the West Coast, the West Coast is slightly more expensive um, than this part of the country, mainly because of taxes. You've got state taxes, federal taxes, gas taxes, crazy housing tax, like all kinds of stuff. And so you're talking about the difference of like, for me in Jacksonville, the average home price is somewhere around like $150,000. It's across the whole city from like the most expensive house to the least expensive house, so about 150. Whereas in the place we're moving, Encinitas, it's about $850,000. Now, obviously, as like a pastor, I'm not going to make eight times what I make right now at the church that I'm at. Um, so there's things like that, or gas is like $3.50 a gallon and stuff like that. And, and just all these crazy things, we began to think about this. We're like, this is going to have to drastically change our life. We can no longer live 10 blocks from the ocean. We can no longer have a room on our house that just has kids' toys in it, a room for the kids to play. That's not going to be a thing anymore. We're going to have to give that up. And we started to have to make some lifestyle change. We started to have to give some things up, like TV. We started to have to give up some of our subscriptions to Hulu, Netflix, all of these different things, preparing for this thing that God was going to do in our life. And it wasn't easy, and it wasn't everything by any means. Because that's the thing is, I don't want to stand up here and be like, oh, I've given up everything to share the gospel. What have you done? in the past week because we still we still all the time battle in and out of this we still have things that we love to have this morning i still got starbucks instead of making coffee before i left my house like there's still things that we do because we want those comforts but it's something that we're learning what does it really mean to give up everything so that people can hear the gospel so that people can understand life change in us but as we look at this, it's not just the disciples in the Bible. We see this all over the Bible, this constant thing where God asks people to give up everything 
to follow him. We can look at Abraham and Isaac, go all the way back to the Old Testament, to Genesis. We can see Abraham had for a hundred years asked for a son. He had desperately wanted a son, and finally he gets a son, and when his son is about six years old, God says, hey, you're going to sacrifice him. And so we pick that up. We go over to Genesis 22, verse 1 through 14. I'm going to read it so you all can kind of hear what happens here. Most of you all are probably familiar with this story, but if you're not, then this will help you to um, kind of understand uh, what it means when God asks for everything. So starting in verse 1, it says this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went out to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, so both of them, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which, Abraham, of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now ultimately at the end of this, God provided a sacrifice. And it's a picture of Jesus in our lives that ultimately Jesus comes and pays the ultimate sacrifice for us. That's what this ram is, that God provided a way when there was no other way, when it looks like that he would have to um, sacrifice his own son. But it's always been crazy to me to see this, that, that he has wanted a son for so long, and then he gets a son, and God says, hey, I need you to sacrifice your son. I need you to show me that you are all in. And in that moment, Abraham is about to give up everything. Now, if you ever have the feeling that you should sacrifice your children, you should come talk to leadership at the church first, because I don't think that's something that God would call you to. So, um, that's definitely not something that, that everybody is being called to, but this is something that he called him to. And a lot of it was a demonstration of Jesus, but there was also this moment where Abraham was all in. Like, he went up there, Isaac's like, hey, um, what are we going to sacrifice? And Abraham in his head's thinking, you, but I'm not going to tell you that because I don't need you to fight me on this. So, they get up there, I mean, he's all the way, strapped down, tied down, ready to go through with it, ready to give up everything. And so we can look at him, we can look all the way through the Bible, we can look at Moses or David or Elijah, or we can come all the way back to the disciples, not just the three, but all of the disciples. You know, if you, if you look at church history and there's some of it in the Bible, like, it doesn't end well for the disciples in their life. That all of them except for one of them are killed for their faith, killed for sharing the gospel. And the one who isn't killed is John. 
And that's because he is put in a vat of oil and boiled alive, and then he doesn't die for some reason, which is, I don't know if that's better or worse, but he doesn't die in this boiling oil, so he just has boils all over his body, he's in horrible pain, but then he gets sent off to the island of Patmos to just live out the rest of his life, which is not like a walk in the park for him. And so it doesn't end well for any of these guys, crucified, crucified upside down, beaten, stoned, all of these kind of things. And I'm sure that when they walked out of that boat and began to walk after Jesus, they weren't thinking, my life's going to end following this guy. Like that's not what was at all in their mind, but they just knew that everything to them meant everything and that they had to sacrifice to follow him. You see, they were willing to give up everything and Jesus is simply asking us just to put him first. He's just asking us to make him the main thing in our lives. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like simple choices throughout the day. Like saying, hey, you know what? I am going to have a quiet time instead of binge watching The Walking Dead or This Is Us. Like normally our lives tend to go towards I'm going to binge watch something and oh, I'll get to reading the Bible later. But we just simply over and over again choose to do the easy thing, the comfortable thing, whatever makes our lives better in the moment. And some of us say, hey, you know what? We're trying. We're trying to do good things. I came to church twice last month. I listened to church once, one time, maybe. I read the Bible every other day. And by read the Bible, maybe that means like on Instagram or Facebook, you see a quote that somebody else posts from the Bible, and you're like, oh, I read that, so that kind of counts as my thing for the day. Or you share your faith when somebody asks you, kind of begrudgingly, if you will. But it's so much more than just trying to be better. See, oftentimes we just want to say, hey, you know what, I, I need to try to do all these things. Well, I, if I can get to church one more week, then it'll be better. If I can read the Bible one more day, it'll be better. But it doesn't say that they picked up a bunch of things and tried harder. It says that they gave up everything. In Luke 9, 23... Beyond where we are right now, it says this, and he said to all, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, ultimately what it is, is this, this change in perception. When we walk out into the world, we tend to view Jesus through our world and our circumstances. We tend to try to look at Jesus way out here and go, okay, well, I've got to get through this thing and that thing. Um, I've got a bunch of stuff I need to do today. Work's going to be busy tomorrow. And we look at Jesus through those things. And Jesus say, no, 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 here's the deal. I want you to flip it and think of this different. I want you to look at all of your circumstances in your life through me. I just want you to flip those two things back and forth. I want you to, to view your whole world through me. I don't, I don't want to just be um, the first thing on your list. Jesus say, hey, no, no, make me the list that you write it on. Like, make me the paper that you write your list on top of. That I would be in everything before everything else. And the greatest part about this is we talk about taking up our crosses is he's not saying literally like go like hang on a cross and die like he did, but he's just saying, hey, take up this mantle of who Jesus is and the gospel and share it with others. That we would have this burden of sharing our faith with other people because we don't have to literally get on the cross because Jesus did that first for us. He went first and chose to die on the cross to save all of us from our sins when none of us deserved it. And when we look at this guy, these guys, it's the same thing. He did everything first. He didn't ask these guys to get their lives right. He wasn't like, hey, guys, you fix everything. You be better people. I'll come back or I'll circle back around and get you in a couple months. He just said, hey, follow me. There was no prep time for this job that they were getting ready to enter. It was just an offer to follow me. He died on the cross so that they didn't have to. He made a way 
when there was no other. He is giving you hope no matter where your life is headed. He desperately wants a John 10.10 life for you. You see, Jesus met these disciples exactly where they're at. They had toiled all night. They were tired. They were broken down. They were disappointed. They were probably out of joy. It was not a great time in their life. But he came right there, right into their circumstances. And he changed their lives. And we see that in a tangible way that he gave them a bunch of fish. But ultimately to them, the fish didn't even matter because they left. But in his life, it, it symbolizes salvation in our lives. That Jesus is standing there saying, hey, here's the deal. I've already done everything. You don't have to do anything other than just follow me. And giving up everything is not this immediate thing. Like you, I'm not asking you to like walk out the doors today and like sell your home and everything. And, and do, it's not this crazy radical thing. It's just beginning to understand what it looks like to put Jesus first. You see, the point for today is this, is that surrendering to Jesus and leaving everything to follow him is what brings us full joy and abundant life. I'll say it again. Surrendering to Jesus and leaving everything to follow him is what brings us full joy and abundant life. You see, the problem is, is that we can sit in here and we can acknowledge that. I can acknowledge it. But then we walk out of here and the world begins to creep back in. The world begins to distract us from what Jesus is telling us. We get just enough Jesus on Sunday to kind of limp through until the next week. But Jesus say, no, 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 there's so much more and you can't be distracted. And I should know that. I am king of distraction. I'm like ADD to the extreme. Like right now, if there were people hanging out outside that door, I would not be paying attention to any of you or say anything. I would just be looking out the door like, oh, squirrel, people, what are they doing? I wonder what's happening. Like that's how my brain works. Like I immediately, I play games with billboards and numbers and all kinds, just because I constantly think about everything that is happening. In fact, it's so bad that a couple years ago um, on one of our trips when we went out to San Diego, before we had decided to plant there, um, when we were just traveling out there for vacation, uh, before we went, at the time I was a college student at UNF and I was riding a skateboard to class because I had to park way out far away from the building. And as I'm riding, a guy stepped in front of me and I kind of fell over sideways and I kind of rolled my foot and thought it wasn't that big a deal and I got up and I couldn't walk. So I had to like drag myself to my car, I get my car, I call my wife, I was like, hey, I'm really worried, I can't walk, I can't even stand up, like, it's not like it hurts and I have to limp, like, I physically, every time I try to stand up, like, I fall over, she's like, okay, so we call a friend of ours that does orthopedics, is that the right, okay, orthopedics, the bone, I don't know, there's stuff, so orthopedics is what this guy does, and he's really smart and awesome, and he goes to our church, and so he's like, hey, I can fit you in, no problem, so I head straight there, I get there, he looks at it, and he goes, oh my gosh, he's like, you have ripped, not completely torn, but ripped all of the ligaments across the top of your foot. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, if they're complete tears, which we won't know until we do an MRI on Monday, he said, if they're complete tears, then we'll have to do surgery. If they're just ripped, they will eventually heal themselves, you'll just be in a boot for an extended time. I'm like, well, let's count on that. I was like, so, um, what do I need to do? Because I leave on a plane in three and a half hours to go to San Diego. He's like, uh, you need to knock it on a plane. Like, you can't. Like, your foot's already swelling. Like, that's not good for us. Like, we don't understand. I work at a church, don't have a whole lot of money, and we plan this trip, have paid for it. So hotel, like, we don't get any of that money back. So we're going, no matter what happens. Even my foot pops off, and I'm not able to walk. We're going on this vacation. We need it desperately. And he's like, okay, here's the deal. So he puts me in a boot. He says, strap it really tight. Don't take it off for any reason while you're flying. Wait till you get to the hotel. Needs to stay up. Needs to stay ice. Here's crutches. All that kind of stuff. Gets us all set up. We get to the um, airport, which I never realized how hard it is to get through an airport on crutches with a boot and how much they search you and check your boot and all that. I was like, can't take it off. And that kind of like freaked him out because 
They're like, why can't we take it off? I was like, because the doctor said so. And so all that kind of stuff, TSA, it's great. So we get on this airplane, we finally fly. We get to the other side of the country, and my foot, um, that night when I look at it, it looks like if you squeeze my toes, they would just like pop off and shoot all over the room. Like it was swollen. It was bad. Like it was really, really bad, black and blue. And we take, um, kind of change all of our plans. Um, it was funny. My wife was actually pregnant with our daughter at the time, um, and so we went to the San Diego Zoo. And so the pregnant lady was walking as I'm riding like the motorized cart. And about halfway through the day, she got tired of walking, so it's just two of us riding motorized carts all around the San Diego Zoo because the hills are really big and all that kind of stuff. And we couldn't really go anywhere. I couldn't go down to the beach because I couldn't take this boot off. Um, just didn't have a whole lot of options of what we could do. And so one night, we're walking through uh, the middle of um, what is Old Town San Diego. Um, lots of Mexican restaurants and um, lots of like places to eat and little stores and shops. And I really wanted a California shirt, so we walk into this little store. And everything's like open air, which is great because of the weather. It's not so great when like the dust on the street just blows all over everything. So everything in the store is dirty. The plastic bags are dirty. The shirts are dirty. And so I get this shirt. I stick it in one of these little black generic plastic bags. And we go outside. And right there in front of me is a Cold Stone ice cream. Now, I love ice cream, specifically strawberries. Strawberry ice cream with marshmallows and sprinkles. Um, you can judge me later for that. But I go, and I'm like, we have to get ice cream. So we go across, we get ice cream, and as we're, as we're getting ice cream, we walk outside. Now, I am on crutches. Okay, there's no seats in this cold stone. So we go outside, we're standing in the street. I'm on crutches, leaned over. I've got a foot propped up. I'm trying to hold this bag, like, with one hand, and then I'm eating ice cream like this, just shoveling in my mouth as fast as I can. And as I'm doing that, all of a sudden, one, um, the ice cream drops down onto this black plastic bag. Without even hesitating, I lean over, and I lick the whole side of this plastic bag. And as I do, my brain immediately tells me, you have just licked a dirty street. Like, that's what you just did. That's what you just did. But, but in the moment, I was just so concerned about that ice cream that I didn't care what was happening in the world. As soon as it was over, I'm like, I dropped the ice cream. I'm like rubbing my tongue, freaking out, thinking I'm going to get some kind of, I contracted something because I licked all this dirt off the side of the bag. It was a horrible decision. And it's silly and it's funny, but that's our lives. Every single day, we're just tempted into all these silly things instead of pointing our focus to Jesus. And these things aren't bad. Like, Cold Stone ice cream wasn't bad. It was just a bad choice to lick the bag. When these good things become idols in our life, when they become more important than Jesus, then they become bad things. But living in a house is not bad. Uh, having some nice things is not bad. Um, getting to go out to eat is not bad. Doing different things, in your, none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but when we begin to make them the priority in our life, that's when they become bad. That's when they separate us from Jesus. Those are the things that God wants us to kind of give up and push away for a moment until we can set our sights on him. And so today what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you, as we begin to close, some application steps. So I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of like, hey, here's the three things you need to do to make your life better. But today there's three things that you should do as you walk out of here to help make your life better. Um, so the first one is this. We're going to start here because without this, it's kind of pointless, is that if you don't know Jesus, you should surrender your life to him. If you don't know Jesus and you showed up here today, it was for a reason and for a purpose. I don't believe in accidents. I don't believe that um, when your friends... Um, or your spouse, or the person you're dating tricked you into coming here just because they would get lunch with you, or whatever it may be. Um, but they actually have you here for a reason, that God has you here for a reason. And the first thing is turn to Jesus, because all of this doesn't matter. So if you were to go home today, and you don't know Jesus, and you just started getting your life in order, and doing the right thing, and you, you know, sold some stuff so that you could help some people that were in need, like all of that would just be kind of 
It wouldn't actually do anything because all of this is rooted in having a relationship with Jesus. Because no matter what you go and do, you can't earn this relationship. Because we talked about earlier, it's free. Jesus did it for you so that you wouldn't have to die on the cross. He went first. And so by surrendering your life to Jesus, you're just saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to follow after you. Just like the disciples, I'm going to follow after you. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what it's going to look like. I know that everything is not going to be perfect. But I'm saying, hey, I'm going to begin to understand what it means to surrender everything to you. The second thing is this, is take a look around. Take a look around, not literally right now, but take a look around in your life. What are the things that are holding you back from God? Things for me are finances, me time, family time, TV. Um, unfortunately, the Cowboys, which are no longer taking up my time anymore. Um, all kinds of things, sports, stuff like that. Like all those things tend to stand in between me and God. And all the, none of those things are bad things. But when they get in between me and God, they begin to create this barrier, this boundary. And that's what Jesus realized the disciples could not have in order to follow him. And so begin to look around your life. What are some of the things? You don't have to go home and clean house and do everything perfect, but what are, what are the few things you can give up? What are the things you know are the biggest? Every time you go to do a quiet time, is it the TV that you turn on? Every time you go to do a quiet time, do you pull up Facebook instead of your Bible app? Every time you go to do a quiet time, what is the thing that is standing in between you? Just, just figure out what those things are. Make a list, write it down, whatever it takes. Ask somebody else in your life. Maybe you're like, hey, I think everything's great. I feel like I'm perfect. Ask the person closest to you. They can probably be like, yeah, you're on your phone all the time. You're doing this all the time. You're doing that all the time. Whatever it may be. And then the last thing is this, is pick at least one of those things and start to begin to give it up and fast from it. And what I mean by that is that, for example, you should not give out or you, should not, you don't necessarily have to quit watching TV for the rest of your life. But for a season, you may need to completely fast from that to begin to change your focuses. So maybe it's social media, or the person that you're dating, or the bar, or the gym, or overworking, or TV. Or maybe it's some kind of church function or group. Maybe you're a part of too many groups. You're plugged into so many things that you're not actually plugging in to Jesus. Whatever it is, I would encourage you to take that one thing and begin to weed it out of your life. And then take another thing, and another thing, and another thing. And that's true of me in my own life. That's what I try to do every single day is find, well, hey, what's the thing that's keeping me the furthest from Jesus at the moment? And so today as we respond, we're going to do a couple different things. First of all, as we sing, as we worship God, as we praise him, I want you to just be thinking about that. What are the things? What's the thing that I can give up? What can I start with? What's something I can today? What's the thing today that I can change in my world? If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, it would be a great opportunity to talk to someone here at Stonehouse Church. It would be a great opportunity um, to share that, to, to have them help you, or myself. I'd love to help you walk through what that looks like in your life. And the other way that we're going to respond is by taking communion. You see, as we, as we read through the Bible, as we begin to get uh, further into the Gospels, what happens is that, is that Jesus uh, is about to go to the cross, and he is sitting there at the table with his disciples. And as they're, as they're getting ready for this, as he's trying to explain to them what's going to happen, uh, he lays out communion. And he, he passes around the table some bread, and he says, hey, here, this is my body which is broken for you. And he's talking about what's going to happen on the cross, that, that he's going to die, he's literally going to be broken for our so he says, hey, take and eat this bread in remembrance of me. And then he passed around a glass of wine at the table, and he says, hey, everybody, um, take um, a, a drink of this. Take a sip. What this resembles is my blood. That on the cross, I'm not only going to be broken, but I'm going to shed my blood for you to cover all of your sins. As an atonement, as a payment for 
those sins. And so after he has done he says, hey, do all of this in remembrance of me. And so what we do as a body of believers is we gather together to take communion together. That when we gather, that when we um, worship together, when we're in a place like this, what we do is, we, hey, we're going to take communion in remembrance of what Jesus did for us, that he died for our sins. So today as we sing, as we respond, you can stand and worship. You can uh, think about that thing that you need to weed out of your life begin to to give up everything to follow jesus and you can also come and and take communion and remember what jesus did for you on the cross so if you'd like to stand with me i'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing some more songs and and worship god for who he is and what he's done for us heavenly father we ask that in these moments as we sing your praises as we cry out to you lord that you would hear us lord that you would soften our hearts Lord, that you would draw us close to you. Lord, that, that as we have heard your word, Lord, as we have already sung some, as we take communion, as we think about the things in our life that hold us back from you, Lord, I just ask that you would stir our hearts with affections for you, that you would uh, root those things up in our life, that you would find them, that you would, you would help us to see them and remove them. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.